Good evening, New York Jets fans. I am Glenn Martin. This is Jet Nation Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in. After our one-week hiatus, uh, a little bit of a slow time of year, took a, took a few days away out of the country, as I said last week, out of this country, um, always out of the States, but popped over to Ireland for a few days. But now we are back. We're going to talk a little bit about OTAs today, another OTA day. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the Chris Herndon situation. Um, if you hadn't heard, he was he was hit for a DWI uh, last night, the night before uh, the night before an open session with the media. So, a little bit to talk about there. We'll talk about uh, what reports that came out of camp today, what we're hearing about which players, who's standing out, who is not. We are going to be joined by Christian Dyer of Metro, who has been joining us regularly. He'll go over a few topics with us. And we're also going to be joined in a little while by Dan Fika, who is the newest writer that we've added to the staff at Jet Nation. Dan's written a few pieces for us over the last couple weeks. He has done a fantastic job. He's been a great addition. So we're looking forward to having him on, get uh, get his thoughts on a few of the things he's written, actually. He's written a few different pieces that uh, I'd encourage you to go to JetNation.com and check them out. Um, and, again, it will come up under uh, – Dan Fika, it's F-I-C-C-A. He's done a, a really nice job, so we'll have him on in a little while. And uh, first of all, start things off, we want to thank our sponsor, Mile Social. They, uh, they, help, they help businesses run their own social media, their websites, their SEOs, and check them out at milesocial.com. That's M-I-L-E-S-O-C-I-A-L, milesocial.com. Give those guys a look. They do a great job. Uh, slew of clients, helping a lot of people out, running their their multimedia, their their online social media platforms. Because let's face it, if you got if you're running a business, you're busy enough as it is. Uh, let Mile worry about the uh, the tech side of the house for you. So give them a look. But um, getting back to the Jets. So OTA day number three with media access, the final day of media access, which really is a shame. Uh, it'd be nice if they were out there more. It's not uh it's not as if they're out there giving away any 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 team secrets or any gadget plays. They're just they're just telling us what they see and uh again it's teams call. They've uh they've they've limited it to basically of every three days of OTAs the media's getting one day of access. So but first first let, let's talk about the Herndon thing. Let's get that out of the way because that's the more uh that's that's an issue that's at the front burner because of the fact that this team has had so many issues in the last just in the last calendar year with DUIs with with uh alcohol drug incidents you know even you know we've talked a lot about the Robbie Anderson situations where yes he was acquitted or charges were dropped of uh some of the stuff he was accused of but even the uh you know the the speeding which, as we know, was followed with all the reports that was basically without evidence against you know him and the police officer. So they, Robbie got the slide on that. You had Robinson who was uh, he got busted. Actually, he got busted last season. We didn't learn about it until this off season with the uh, the pot candy, which I think that was I believe that was coming out of Denver if I'm not mistaken. And uh, Dylan Donahue, a couple of DUIs for him. 
one right after being drafted and another this off season. Drove into the Lincoln Tunnel the wrong way, slammed into a slammed into a van. And uh and now we have this. Now we have another recently drafted player. Not obviously not uh didn't happen. I I want to say Dylan Donahue's incident was within a few days. But either way, they're both wrong. Doesn't really matter <clears throat> when it happened, why it happened. Bottom line is that, you know, we're seeing uh we're seeing this a lot with the Jets. And we're we're gonna talk a little bit later with uh with Christian Dyer about this and get his opinion. I know that, you know, I've I see people say that shows a lack of leadership on the team. Um, you know, the, the, there's no there's no mentoring going on. Why don't they have control over these players? And we'll see what Christian thinks later, but I'll, I'll just give you my take real quick, and, and I'll run it past him. But And, and I, I've said this since the Rex days. Um, I feel like there's there, we've seen more disciplinary issues since Rex has left. Um, but to me, it was never on Rex, and the same way it's not on Todd Bowles. These are, these are grown-ups. These are grown men. I don't care if a guy's a young rookie. I mean, how old do you have to be to know that you shouldn't drink and drive? I mean, this is something you hear from the time, you know, from the time you're 12, 13 years old, anti, you know, campaigns, anti-drinking and driving. You see public figures get in trouble for it. You see public figures doing perp walks. And as you're growing up, as you get to driving age, you're going to tell me you're not told a million times, don't drink and drive? And then throughout your high school days and then throughout your college career, I mean, this, this thing where people are saying that this is on the Jets, this is on Todd Bowles, he, he's not a babysitter. He's not with these guys, you know, 24-7, 365. Ro- rosters right now are at 90 guys. Even during the regular season when you're at 53 plus 10 practice squad, 63. You think Todd Bowles has time to keep track of 63 guys or at this time of the year, 90? 90 grown-ups, grown men. These are adults. Just because you're young in NFL years doesn't mean you're too young to know that drinking and driving is stupid. So Herndon did it. He uh, apparently slammed into another vehicle, was taken away from the scene in handcuffs, uh, tested... uh, I don't know what the numbers were, but he basically failed the breathalyzer at the station after being arrested, after being taken away. And um, so now the Jets have another guy with another alcohol-related incident. And at some point, just just to, to make an example of somebody, I think someone's going to be let go. I don't know if it's going to be Herndon at this point. You know, he's, he's a mid-round draft pick. Obviously, hasn't played a single snap. Uh, as a pro, he stood out in OTAs. A lot of, uh, matter of fact, I saw a tweet today that he was just catching everything left and right. Really impressive today in camp. And that's fine. That's great. Hope he's a great player. But I hope he stops drinking and driving. I hope Dylan Donahue stops drinking and driving. I hope we don't see any more pot arrests. But we will. We will. We're going to see it. It's going to happen. But when it does... It, it's on the individual. I don't. I don't want to hear that it's Todd Bowles' job to make sure that these guys aren't aren't drinking and driving, or aren't doing whatever they're doing. Just like Rex Ryan wasn't at fault when Black Skull Burris had a few drinks and fell asleep behind the wheel in Midtown Manhattan. You know, I heard it all the time. Oh, it's out of control. These these guys are, uh, you know, they're doing this because they're coaches. 
their coach lets them. Rex lets them. You know, Rex wasn't letting anyone do it the same way Todd Bowles isn't letting anyone do it. These are just grown men who are making grown man decisions, and um, and at the moment they're they're making some bad ones. So hopefully that gets itself straightened out. And uh, and again, we'll touch on that later with Christian Dyer. But um, just saw something come across uh, just a few minutes ago. It looks like the looks like the Jets have made a move. Uh, not sure if it's uh, if the signing is official yet. But former Steelers and Cowboys safety um, JJ Wilcox played free safety, strong safety. Started thirty with thirty one. So yes, looks like he started all sixteen games. The second year player out of I want to say it was Georgia Southern. I could be wrong about that. I was just looking at it a little while ago. But um started sixteen games a couple of years ago or in, in year two, fifteen in year in year three, then pretty much moved to a backup role. But anyway, Wilcox was reportedly in uh San Francisco today, uh ready to sign with the forty ers He was due to sign and a source reportedly told Adam Schefter that Wilcox flipped and he decided that he wanted to play for Todd Bowles. I'm not sure what the connection is there. I'm not sure why he uh why the affinity for Bowles. But Schefter says the source says that Wilcox, quote, got stage fright, and uh, and he's on his way to New Jersey to sign with the Jets. So another safety, um, but now you're getting a, a veteran, a guy who's you know a little bit a uh, little bit higher draft pick than some of the other backups the Jets have right now. He was a, a former third rounder of the Cowboys. He uh, uh, spent his first four pro seasons in Dallas before spending last year with Pittsburgh. Only one start last year. Twelve games, one start. Um, career-wise, he's got, him, he's got six interceptions. Three of them came in his second year when he, when he had those 16 starts to go along with uh, 60... Sorry. Yeah, sorry. 30, 70 total games, 39 starts. And, uh, again, a, a veteran guy. Obviously, he's, got, he's listed as a free safety with Dallas and a strong safety in year four. So free safety, free safety. He's basically a little bit all over the map in terms of where he played in the defensive backfield. Uh, PFR, pro football reference, they actually list him as linebacker in one spot. Yeah, free safety, linebacker, strong safety. So apparently moves around a lot. This is the type of stuff Todd Bowles likes. Uh, he likes having those inter- interchangeable safeties, and it looks like Wilcox could be a guy who could uh, – fill that role, I think it's surprising. I mean, he, without any type of guarantees, it's it's surprising to hear a player, even if he is a, a backup, to be in the building to sign somewhere, as was the case there uh, with Wilcox to sign with San Francisco, and then turns around and, and decides to go elsewhere uh, and come to the Jets. So, looking forward to checking out some film on Wilcox, see what stands out. Um, as far as the quarterbacks, because, you know, let's face it, it's the big story every week, every whether it's OTAs or no TAs or whatever. That's what, uh, that, that's what this year and the next several years are hopefully going to be uh, dominated by in terms, of, uh, in terms of quality football from the quarterback position, which the Jets aren't accustomed to. So Josh McCown uh, took all, the reps, all of his reps were with the first team today, and there was apparently a slight increase for Sam Darnold. He played a little bit with the starting O-line, a little bit with the backup O-line. 
McCown went 11 for 12, according to Rich Semini of ESPN, and had a you know had himself a really sharp day. Darnold made some some really good throws, according to multiple sources. Um, did ha- did have a bad underthrow that was intercepted by Jamal Adams, um, but also made what sounded like a, a fantastic throw um, deep down the sideline to Chad Hansen, splitting a couple of defenders, putting it where only Hansen could get it, and Hansen made a nice toe drag to to pull it down. To me, he said uh, Jermaine Curse, wide receiver Jermaine Curse, tight end Neil Sterling were standouts, and Brandon Copeland, who's an interesting guy, he's a free agent addition. For those of you who remember, he was added from the, added from the Detroit Lions. Um, he's a guy who's battled some injuries, but uh, he got some run with the first with the first uh, team today. So that's something worth keeping an eye on because let's face it, opposite Jordan Jenkins is basically a whole bunch of question marks. Is it going to be Josh Martin again? Is it going to be Lorenzo Malden? Is it going to be a guy like Copeland? Is someone else going to step up and take that job that nobody's anticipating? Um, time will tell, but I think I think given the fact that there are so many question marks at that spot, I think we're going to see a lot of Jets. We're going to see a lot of guys rotating out, you know, and getting getting opportunities to show what they can do with the with the first string guys. So, just uh, one of the many spots in camp where there'll be some battles. But that's that's probably the biggest one. Let's let's face it. You know, in terms of jobs that are still open, that and and in terms of need, there there's no bigger need on the roster than that that linebacker spot opposite Jordan Jenkins. You know, you could argue the O line, but even though there are some weaknesses there, the starters are pretty much set. That linebacker spot is the one glaring hole where there's no nobody's in stone to get that get that starting job and. There's going to be, you know, a few guys worth keeping an eye on. So we'll see how that shakes out. And also, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, Chad Hansen, opening eyes again. Uh, this is three straight OTAs for him where several reporters are are basically coming out and saying that he looks like a different player. He looks more confident. He's playing faster. Not not having to think as much, which you hear a lot. You know, you always hear that that year one to year two jump is often the biggest jump a player makes. Um, you know, not the only jump, but just in terms of, you know, guys will get incrementally better, ideally, as their career progresses through the first, you know, four or five years. Um, but that year one to year two is the biggest jump because you have a normal off season. You're not prepping for the draft. You're not prepping for the combine. You can actually focus on football stuff and not not running 40s and, and you know, short shuttles and, and all this, you know, your verts and your broads and all that. You can practice football instead of practicing for the, uh, the football Olympics in Indy. You have a year under your belt in terms of preparation. You know, you know how teams go about getting ready on a week-to-week basis, how teams are going to attack you. Um, you know, and obviously it's a different level. You know, we hear it every year from just about every draft pick who gets asked, what's the biggest difference? Oh, speed of the game, the speed of the game. Didn't realize how much bigger, you know, everyone here is bigger and faster. And uh, and so you get that year under your belt. You have, an, you have an idea of what teams are trying to do. And you know how to prep for it. So Chad Hansen, again, by all accounts, has looked outstanding so far in training camp. And, uh, or sorry, in OTAs. And this is what you're looking for. You know, you want these guys to to come along and develop. Uh, Mike McCagnon's had uh, some shaky drafts, but as I've said before, 
only one draft class has has gone through that pivotal third year, and now it's time for uh, you know some of these other classes to enter year three for them. Although Hanson is uh, obviously entering year two, encouraging to see him coming along. But uh, we're joined now by uh, oh, heart, sorry, we uh, I broke up there for just one second. There we go. Dan Fika, our newest writer for JetNation.com, told you at the top of the show he'd be calling in. Dan's going to talk to us about uh, a few of the topics, some of the things that he's written about for the site thus far in the, the couple weeks he's been with us. Uh, it's been a pleasure working with him. It's been a, you know, editing his work has been pretty easy because Dan does a, a fantastic job. So, Dan, are you there? Yes, how are you doing, Glenn? Um, doing great, doing great. Thanks. Thanks so much for joining us. I know uh I know you're a busy guy, you got a lot going on. But uh thought it'd be nice to have you on, introduce you to our audience. Uh for those who listen to the podcast, those of you who post in the forums and those of you who check our front page for any breaking news or editorials. Dan's gonna be a part of that now. Done a great job so far. And we're gonna talk about some of the stuff Dan's written. Um or the 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 uh the the cover the topics that he's gone over and um one of the things you wrote Dan that I that I enjoyed was uh was talking about how this team's approach and you know we've talked about the draft a couple times in the show but we hadn't really gotten into the the fact that Mike McCagan really and I've seen people knock him for this and I think some people will just look for a reason to knock him but he really did have his staff they they must have been doing some deep digging because as you pointed out, they really did go with some small, small school guys. They didn't, you know, traditionally we've seen the LSUs, the Ohio States, the big power conferences, and uh, and you talked about how they went small this draft um, with some of the players they took. You want to talk about that? Yeah, sure. So, like you said, I mean, McKagan has mostly been um, drafted out of the power five conferences, and this off season, it looks like he really uh, dug to the bottom of the battle here and went with some small school guys. I mean, uh, you know, I can't sit here and say that I knew much about these guys before they were drafted, but um, I'm sure most didn't know a ton about them, you know. But I, I did a ton of research on them, and I'm sure most Jets fans have because as passionate as we are, once we see a new pick, we, we want to know everything about them. Yeah. So uh, I mean, I, I like the moves, but um, I mean, it's 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 tough, you know. It's just like you said, they're small schools, and and I heard you saying before, coming out of a D two, it's the game's much quicker, you know. The, the players are faster, they're bigger, they're stronger. So it, it's going to take some time, and it's going to be an adjustment for these guys. But it, time will tell, you know. I mean, Shepard is it had a lot of success at um, Fort Hayes State, so. We're going to see what he could do in the bigs. And, and, you know, he needs some work, but he's raw, he's athletic, and it, it's he was, you know, shedding defenders in college. And it's going to be a little bit of a growing period for him. Come, uh, But, I mean, same thing goes for, uh, we'll go with, I'll call him Foley, so I don't butcher his name here. But right. um, yeah. these guys are going to be uh, rotating in and out pretty much like you were just saying as well on the D-line, and they'll be able to keep that D-line fresh. And, um, it's you know, you're asking a lot to expect big contributions from them this season. But uh, also, like you just said, year one to year two, that'll be the big jump, you know. I mean, we'll see what they can do this this season. 
But next season is really going to be uh, the big the big time for them, and we'll see what they can do. So, yeah, I think that's that's a good point. You know, and, and uh, you know, as I was saying with the with the adjustment, and you bring up the point that it, it being an even bigger adjustment when you're coming from a smaller school, um, and it and it probably is. And these guys, you know, when you look at a guy like uh, a guy like Nathan Shepard, who everybody's talking about. And yeah, he absolutely dominated in college. But you know, not only was it a smaller school, he was an, an older guy, so a little bit more mature, probably a little bit more savvy. So that's that's one more thing to look at and say: Did he dominate because he was that good, or did he dominate because he was playing younger, younger guys at a smaller school? Um, but and I'm not knocking the pick. I mean, you look at the guy physically. And he just he, he he you talk about a guy who looks the part. I mean, he looks like a guy who should be able to really handle himself. I mean, he's uh, he's over three hundred pounds, and he looks like he's probably seven or eight percent body fat, if that. So I'm um, I'm looking forward to seeing him on Sundays. I know you know a lot of Jets fans are. Um, another guy that I know a lot of fans really like to pick, and uh, and again it was <laughs> you mentioned it. You know we mentioned it. It's tough when when you watch the draft unfold. You just don't expect, you know, you have six picks. You don't expect four small school guys that got very little draft hype coming in. So it's almost like, you know, even even for for me, Nathan Shepard, he was probably, of the four small school guys, he was the only one I had really read up on, and it wasn't extensively just because he was an interesting story. I was like, okay, 26-year-old, dominating in Canada, um, you know, it took a few years off, and it was an interesting. You know, the story everyone knows now is a great backstory. But um, honestly, like Perry Nickerson, I honestly I don't recall seeing his name leading up to the draft, um, which is obviously my bad because uh, saw after the draft, Pro Football Focus had him as a top 50 player. Um, so I obviously the the draft guys I was using sometimes if you guys slip through the cracks, um, he was one of them. But he's a guy Jets fans are really looking forward to seeing. A guy who ran a four three two, and uh, and was just a, a ball hawk in college. So, yeah, you know, on defense, they uh, especially on defense, a couple D linemen and, and of course, the corner and Nickerson uh, get some small school guys. But, you know, I think, and, and here's, here's, you know, one of the more obscure observations that I saw from Jets fans, and I saw a couple people say it, you know, and, again, I, I think there was a clear anti-McCagnon bias. They were just kind of like, oh, this guy's, here's McCagnon trying to prove he's the smartest guy in the room. And take these these small school guys that nobody else was going to take, and I'm I'm thinking to myself, Mike McCagney and him and Todd Bowles really are kind of their I think their jobs are on the line in the sense that if these guys if some of these guys don't look like they can play, I I don't know that they're coming back next year, um, so I don't think Mike McCagney is trying to get cute. I think Mike McCagney and his staff went out and as any team would do, you take the guys you believe can play, and now whether or not they hit on these picks we'll know and you know over the next next couple seasons but to say that McCagney was trying to get cute and out you know and show he's the smartest guy in the room I don't I don't think it's a fair a fair assessment of him but uh in talking about McCagney and you know things that he's done that some people liked and some people didn't um you also did a piece for us talking about a few guys you know some boomer bust guys guys who you could see having you know huge a huge year Having a huge impact, and uh, and really paying paying big dividends, but also some guys who at the same time 
Um, I don't think anybody would be surprised. And looking at the list, they could bust, whether it be through injury or just ineffectiveness. Um, guys where there's really not a lot of middle, middle of the road. Uh, you want to talk about some of those guys for a minute? Yeah, sure. So Henry Anderson, for example, is a, is a prime example of that. I mean, they only um, traded a seventh-round pick for him. And, I mean, that that's that's the ultimate boom or bust right there. That's low risk, high reward. I think he's only making something like $1.9 million this year. So he's a cost-effective contract. I mean, he's only 26. Um, and when he was actually on the field, I mean, the guy can play. He's one of the better run-stuffers run, suffers, uh, run suffers, um, in 2015. And, you know, you replace a guy like Mo Wilkerson with him, who Mo was basically giving you nothing last season. So you, you replace him with a guy like Anderson that, when healthy, is, is one of the better defensive ends in football. So, I mean, obviously his injuries are a concern. Um, last season he kind of had that fluke injury with the larynx, so that's not something to be awfully concerned about. Um, the leg injuries obviously are a concern, but time will tell. If he could stay on the field, I think that's that's a steal right there. Like I mentioned, for a seventh-round pick, that's you can't go wrong there. Yeah, I think he's a guy that a lot of fans are looking forward to seeing because of the fact that, as you mentioned, uh, Mo Wilk was so just uh, disinterested last year. Uh, the effort was not there. Mo, and if you look at it, Mo Wilkerson, surprisingly, um, actually had a pretty decent grade through PFF, Pro Football Focus. And I think a lot of that, I would have to go look at it. I think a lot of that could be attributed to, if you remember, um, I know I remember it well, there was a span, like, there was like week, I'll, I could be wrong, I'm just going to throw out a, 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 my best guess, Somewhere around week five through nine or six through ten, Mo Wilkerson actually played like he wanted to play for that really, and he was dominant. He dominated for about a month, and you thought, "What's gotten into this guy? Like this is the old Mo Wilkerson." I know I took some heat, not that I care, but I took some heat because I I wondered out loud. I, I well, I didn't wonder out loud. I wrote an article. Um, if you recall, you know, weeks one through whatever four or five, whatever before he. He, he acted like he cared about being on the field um, because he, he was getting a free pass from the Jets brass. Casey Rogers said, we love his prep. He's doing a great job. Todd Bowles was saying he was happy with his results. Um, how they say that with a straight face, I have no idea. Um, but then you had a tweet that was sent out from a former player, current analyst, Brian Baldinger, and showing, you know, he's, he's a national guy, not a local guy. So just kind of putting on display for the world, like, hey, here's a few tweets of, Muhammad Wilkerson mailing it in, and this guy just doesn't want to play football right now. Um, and then three days later, three, four days later, because he sent them out midweek, three, four days later, Mo Wilkerson comes out. He's playing with a, with, you know, with a guy, what do they say, you know, like, like his hair's on fire. And he plays like that for four or five weeks, and then he goes back in the tank and doesn't have any interest in playing anymore. So I think if you're looking at a PFF grade, which some, you know, some people I think put a little too much stock into that, I think they're great as a guy. I love PFF. But at the same time, that's where it can be misleading, where a guy just didn't really show up 11 or 12 weeks out of the year but was dominant for four or five weeks, and uh, that kind of boosted his numbers a little bit. But getting a guy like a Henry Anderson who can come in and fill that role, playing that 3-4, and I think that uh, I think if he's healthy, man, him and, and, and rotating him and Shepard out, which is what they've been doing in camp so far, that's uh, that could be a, a huge, huge upgrade when you consider the fact that Mo was mailing it in. 
Um, so some of the other guys you mentioned, Teddy Bridgewater, of course, has been mentioned as a possible trade chip, um, Mo Claiborne, and, uh, and Spencer Long, uh, the center that was signed from the Washington Redskins. You want to you wanna touch on those guys and give us some thoughts on those, those moves? Sure. So Teddy, uh, Teddy was a move that I was calling for before the offseason even began, before free agency began. I mean, he's, he's still young. And he's got a lot of upside. I mean, he's still a little bit of an unknown. Uh, we haven't seen him, obviously, in, in a while. He hasn't played any meaningful games in a while. But, um, I mean, he, you know, he's – I have no issue with, with Teddy one way or the other. If it's just a side that, you know, he's healthy and he performs well in preseason, I mean, I don't see any reason why you can't um, let him start the season as opposed to letting McCown start the season. And I, I really don't have any issue with them trading him either. I mean, it really depends on what he does in the preseason, and it depends on if that knee holds up or not. But, I mean, trading him isn't the worst idea. You could probably, you know, net a third rounder. Um, and, but it really depends on what he looks like. And, of course, that knee, everyone is curious to see how that knee holds up in, in live action once he takes a hit. But as far as uh, Mo Claiborne, goes. I mean, as you could see uh, today already, he was uh, sporting a cast. I think they said something, a wrist injury. So Yeah, I did see Claiborne that. Uh, he is, a, a, a bruise. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, but he's, it's always something with him, though. It, that's what I was just going to say. It always seems to be something with him. And, you know, I mean, he, he can play. When, when he's on the field, he can play. And, you know, he's he's on a low-risk uh, deal. I mean, he's on another one-year deal, which is exactly how they should have treated him. I mean, he's, he's injury-prone, so signing him long-term probably isn't the best move. But with them uh, signing Tremaine Johnson, I mean, he, he can move over and cover number two wide receiver instead of covering, uh, you know, the big play receiver for the opposing team. So I think that would be really beneficial for him. And I think the secondary has a chance to be, you know, a lockdown secondary with, with that back four, but it really depends on if Mo can stay on the field or not. Yeah, I think they're definitely – I think that's one of the reasons I think I'm surprised how much people are sleeping on the Jets because one of the biggest issues they had last year was not having that true number one corner. And if Tremaine Johnson plays to the level that he's played the last couple of years with the Rams, then – you're going to be able to take away that other team's top receiver to a degree. I mean, he's not he's not Darrell Revis in his prime. You know what I mean? But he's still a good enough corner that he's going to be able to limit the damage. Uh, you know, opposing top receivers are going to be able to do. And then it comes down to Claiborne. And as you know, as I said at the top of the show, that we hear all the time that the the big jump is always year one to year two. So hopefully, uh, with Marcus May and Jamal Adams, we see some uh, we see some more game changing plays out of them this season. Because as good as they were last year as rookies, they were far from perfect. You know, Jamal Adams was beat for a ton of touchdowns, um, you know, was great in run support, and had his moments in coverage. He looked good at times, but was inconsistent. Uh, Marcus May, to me, was a much better, much bigger hitter than I realized he was. Um, when he came, you know, when he came screaming in from the secondary, he, he laid some guys out. So, um, but that, you're right, that secondary can be pretty damn good. Um, and that's why the Perry, Nick, Perry Nickerson thing, the, the Perry Nickerson pick is such a big deal because he is a guy who's probably better suited for the slot. And if they can get that slot locked down, then they can be in a really nice position. Um, so we'll, we'll see where that goes. And I agree with Bridgewater. I, I think the only way the Jets lose out on Bridgewater, and it's weird to say lose out, but 
I think they would almost be in a bad spot if he played great. You know what I mean? If if Teddy Bridgewater, because I, I agree, I can see him beating out Josh McCown. And if he comes out lighting it up, and the Jets are five and one or six and one, which I'm not saying that is going to happen. Don't tell me that I'm predicting a six and one start. But if this team starts out five and one, six and one, then he's really doing too well to trade him. You can't trade your starting quarterback at five and one. I don't care what Sam Darnold's doing. Um, but then he's, of course, he's only on a one-year deal. So what are you going to do? You're going to let him play out the season. Maybe you make the playoffs. But now you're going to franchise tag him to get something in return, tag and trade. Um, I don't know, but hey, let's let's hope they have that problem. Let's hope the Jets' biggest issue this year is that Teddy Bridgewater is six and one, and they don't know what to do. Um, I I I gladly take that. But uh, but the last guy on the list, um, Spencer Long, is a guy I've I've been um, sleeping well since he was added because even with the injury history. We all saw how bad Wesley Johnson was last year. The Jets were in dire need of an upgrade there, and uh, and Spencer Long brings that. Any thoughts on him? Yeah, I just think just like you said, he's a major upgrade over Wesley Johnson, um, which obviously is not saying a ton, but he is a major upgrade. Um, I mean, he's one of the better pass blockers when he's actually been healthy, um, but the thing is staying healthy. So, I mean, it'd be great to see him be a key cog in the middle of that offensive line for the next couple of years. I mean, he's not on a uh, too long-term of a contract. I think they actually have a fairly easy out after year one if for some reason it doesn't work out. But, I mean, he's versatile, you know. He's played uh, center. He's played guard. So, he's covered a couple different spots along the line. And, I mean, if if he could stay healthy and he could stay in there, the Jets, you know, it'll – really improve their running game. Um, it'll, it'll help keep the quarterback upright. So I, I think Long definitely is, is a major upgrade, but it just goes back to the same thing. Like the rest of these guys, they have to stay on the field. Yeah, and that that's the big thing for him. He had the quad injury last year. He's battled some injuries on and off, but he does seem like a gamer. He's played with some serious injuries and played at a pretty high level. And that's, you know, the, I, I was watching some uh, – some film earlier today, uh, or yesterday rather, some of the Kansas City game from last season, and I was watching it for for different players, but I couldn't help but notice the number of times. <clears throat> excuse me, couldn't help but notice the number of times Wesley Johnson was just getting trucked, um, and even James Carpenter who had a really bad year last year. Um, Winters we know was played terribly, but you know he gets he gets somewhat of a pass because we we found out later he had the torn abdomen. But at the same time, I mean, that old line was so bad, but it all started in the middle with Johnson. And uh, and as I've said on the show before, it's a shame because having been out to, to practice and, and seen him up close um, and even on the sidelines in games, um, having the opportunity, you know, a couple of times I had seats literally row one behind the bench. Um, he's a fiery, fiery competitor. Uh, and you just he's the kind of guy you root for. But the bottom line is he didn't get it done. And he, he, I mean, he really didn't get it done. So that upgrade had to be made. And before you joined us, I talked earlier about uh, Rich Samini mentioning that the Jets' uh, Brandon Copeland free agent addition outside linebacker got quite a bit of run with the uh, with the starters today. And that's another, another another piece you worked on, something I've, I've talked about on this show at length, and uh, that it's the Jets' need to find that edge rusher, to find someone opposite Jordan Jenkins, 
I think Jordan Jenkins, and, pardon me, and I think most people agree Jordan Jenkins at this point is a guy who's going to be a Calvin Pace type, and there's nothing wrong with that. He'll have a nice long career. He'll get you five, six sacks a year. Um, you know, may, may creep up to double digits once or once or twice in his in his career, but he's not a guy you can look to as a a presence as a pass rusher. So, who who do you like on that opposite side that that might have a chance to to have an impact? You know, I'm not, none of us are saying that uh, there's a, there's a secret Von Miller on the roster, but is there anyone you look at and say, you know, this is a guy who could, you know, even if they can find a guy who can get them six or seven sacks. You know, it's certainly a lot better than what they've gotten the last couple of years out of that position, which it seems they get one or two a year. Yeah, so I think there there are a couple different options that they have. Um, I mean, as far as David Bass and Josh Martin, and of course Malden, Malden obviously being the the biggest uh, wild card, I guess it's no secret that it's a big summer for him, and and he's hungry. He's hungry to prove he belongs. Um, but but he has to show it. He has to perform, and he's got to stay healthy. That's going to be the big key for Malden, another one that has to stay on the field. Um, Bass, I mean, Bass played well last season, and he in limited action too. I think he got something like three and a half sacks. Um, Martin, Martin as well. Um, I mean, I'm not sure that they're long-term options, but, you know, they can play opposite Jordan Jenkins, like you said, and, and I think Jenkins, is, you hit on it perfectly, is pretty much Calvin Pace. I mean, if he could up those sack totals a, a little bit, you know, add two or three more a year, that would that would really help the uh, pass rush. But I do think that, that Bass and Martin, you know, they'll play situations, certain situations, certain packages. Um, and I know something else we agree on as well is, is Lining up Darren Lee on the edge and see if he could use some of that four force down quarterback. So they do have a couple different options, but it's 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 tough. I mean, you know, pass rusher has been a tough spot for them for for years. So it's we're asking we're asking a lot at a couple of these guys, but I do think they can piece together a couple sacks and you know maybe send um, Jamal Adams or. Um, Harry Nickerson in certain situations use his speed to come off the edge. So, so they do have a few options, but it's it's tough to expect big numbers out of any of these guys. Yeah, I mean, I, ideally you'd like to uh, you'd like to be in a situation where you have one guy that you can really count on, but um, they don't have that right now. Somebody has to try to emerge. I think that what we're going to see is. Uh, you know, I think we'll see Darren Lee out there on the edge a little bit, and I think that with this improved secondary, a guy like Josh Martin, who you know only had a sack and a half last year, but I think with his speed, I like Martin more than most people do. I think that uh, giving him an extra split second, he'll get to the quarterback a little more. And, he, and even having said that Jordan Jenkins isn't a big sack guy, and he's not, um, I don't have the numbers in front of me right now, but I looked at them the other, I looked at them the other day. He actually had quite a few uh, hits and hurries on the quarterback, which. You know, as we all know, if you can get the quarterback to hang on to that ball a split second longer, you know, maybe instead of uh, three sacks and 19 hurries, you're talking about, you know, seven sacks and 12 hurries or something along those lines where it starts to translate and these guys, you know, get home and get to the quarterback. Because, you know, let's face it, again, it's, it's been a, a big issue for a long time, and they have to, uh, they have to find a way to resurrect that or to, to, to rectify that and, and get somebody going. But, uh Real quick before I let you go, Dan, and uh, thanks again for joining us. 
Um, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. I didn't just something that just popped in my head as as we're looking at all these additions because you know you, I'm looking at Claiborne, I'm looking at uh, at Spencer Long, I'm looking at Teddy Bridgewater, and I really like all these moves. And then it hits me, you know, give me is there any move they made this all season that you don't like? Uh. You know, I'm not sure that there's a move maybe that I don't like. I do wish that they maybe address the um, some depth along the offensive line a little bit more. Um, I mean, just because, just like we said, as far as Spencer Long and his injuries, if he goes down, kind of puts you in a little bit of a tough spot. Um, I mean, they, they did sign Travis Swanson from the Lions. Uh, I'm not sure how great he can be, but not bad as far as depth goes. But uh, just the offensive line, I mean, I really wish that they had addressed that and gotten a little more depth. I mean, a healthy winter's coming back. That should be a big improvement. But as far as that goes, I I wish they just uh, added a couple more pieces there. All right, I agree. Swanson is actually the one guy. uh, Swanson is the one guy that I don't like. Watched him on film for a few games. And he did not look any better than Wesley Johnson. I looked at his – after watching me get killed, I checked out what PFF had to say about him, and they had him ranked six or seven spots ahead of him, um, ahead of Wesley Johnson. So <clears throat> not a very good player, but you know what? Sometimes teams think a new system, fresh start, new staff, they can work some miracles. Um, if they get him to play at an even serviceable level, they deserve a, an award of some kind. But, uh, Dan, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, looking forward to doing uh, more work with you in the future on JetNation.com. And um, for those of you uh, looking to follow Dan, go ahead and uh, give out your Twitter. It's just your name, right? Is it at Dan Fick? You want to give out the spelling and your Twitter handle? Sure. It's at Dan, D-A-N underscore Fika, F-I-C-C-A. All right. Thanks a lot, Dan. You take care, and we'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk again soon. Great. Thanks for having me, Glenn. All right. Okay. From Dan right into Christian Dyer, who is joining us live. Uh, we're going to have Christian on for not very long tonight. He is a very busy man. As you know, he covers uh, the Jets, Giants, and Red Bulls for Metro. Um, so we're just going to cover one or two quick topics. Christian, are you there? Yeah, I'm, I'm good, guys. How are you? Doing good, doing good. Thanks so much for uh, for joining us. I know you are short on time tonight. So um, the two things I wanted to, uh, to address really quickly with you and uh, – First off, the uh, you heard about Herndon getting hit with the DWI. This has uh, become sort of a regular thing for the Jets now with uh, between Richard Robertson with the pot thing and Dylan Donahue with multiple DUIs. Robbie Anderson, charges dropped, but still had some run-ins with the law. Um, where do you stand with this? Just two seconds on my take. I feel like when I see people say that the Jets are lacking leadership and this is on the coaches, I totally disagree. I think these are... You might these are young football players, but they're still grown men. You're told from the time you're 12, 13 years old, drinking and driving is an idiotic thing to do. Don't do it. They still do it. I don't expect Todd Bowles to keep an eye on 90 guys. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's, uh, I completely agree with And thanks for having me back on again this week. It's it's a problem. It's an epidemic, quite frankly, across the league. It's not just something that uh, we're seeing that's a Jets issue. And, and I think it's really interesting. And, and I went back a few years ago, and I kind of did the number during the lockout uh, when we were all kind of desperate to write stuff that wasn't about the lockout. And there was a whole right. idea that the Jets under Rex Ryan were this team. They were a circus. Uh, they were run amok. And I ran the numbers. I, I found the arrest 
best records for the NFL, and you know I kind of averaged out over the past five six years to give a little bit of uh, a little bit of perspective. You had you know Eric Mangini before Rex, who was a strict disciplinarian, and then you had a couple years of Rex by that point, and just to see kind of where things stacked up, and the Jets uh, on average had fewer arrests per year than than the other teams throughout the league. The Giants actually had more arrests uh, on a per year basis than the Jets did, and I mean this is going back what six seven years ago. But you know, a quick look mm-hmm. at the numbers again recently. The Jets are below the league average in these things. I think it's the fact that mm-hmm. a they're in the New York market, and b there's this tabloid culture that's created the idea that the Jets are playing under a round top that they're that they are a circus. Uh, I think only really exacerbates these types of things. Now, certainly having two, three of these issues in an off season does raise an eyebrow. But you know, there's only so much that the Jets as an organization can do in these instances, these guys have a lot of time in the off season. The NFL off season is ridiculously long and we understand why um, they have access to player protect in the off season, which is the service that allows them uh, to get rides to and from places. Uh, you know, so, so there's a lot of kind of different components in play here that I think people don't necessarily understand that it's really about the player and the individual. To me, the question is uh, not, you know, is Todd Bowles at fault here? Is Mike McCagney at fault? Is Chris Johnson and Woody Johnson at fault for the players making these decisions? I think what you might want to look at is should these kind of guys, you know, be passing any kind of litmus test in the NFL? I get that they're talented, but when you're doing the player evaluations, are they asking the right kind of questions because this kind of issue keeps on popping up? So to me, it's not about a lack of institutional control, it's more about an issue of are the Jets doing a good job of evaluating players and putting themselves in a position where they can know player tendencies, where they can spot any kind of issues and perhaps take a lesser talented player who they know is going to be on the playing field rather than somebody who might have a red flag or two, but that can contribute right away or, or be a bigger star. So that to me is the bigger issue, but, but Glenn, I have a really hard time faulting the Jets here. All the resources are there. Todd Poles, Todd Bowles is a strict disciplinarian coach. We've seen on lesser issues that he sat players to start games or cut them or, or finally gotten rid of them if they were locker room issues. So you kind of have to stack here Todd Bowles and his resume here now entering year four with the Jets and how he's handled these issues against the fact that these players on their own are going to make some pretty boneheaded decisions from time to time. So I, I don't think this is a lack of institutional control, though I do question the idea of if the Jets are doing a good enough job vetting players for these issues because it keeps popping up time and time again. I think that's probably the best point um, out of everything you said there is, you know, and we obviously we don't have access to this. We don't know how their pre-draft evaluation is going, but, you know, if it's a completely different story if you're talking about a team that's consistently drafting guys who have these types of issues in college and it carries on on the pros, then you're just kind of being willfully negligent or just, you know, hoping a little bit too hard against hope. But but if if they're drafting these guys with clean records – yeah, and if we saw these issues coming up where uh, players kept on having ACL sprains or hamstring pulls, you would look and you would evaluate the same way. You would say, you know, what are we doing wrong here that's maybe exacerbating this situation? I think the Jets need to take a look at it. And frankly, there's not a whole lot of excuses for these guys. They're between player protect and the fact our west of New York City at the Jets training facility 
it's not like they're making a, you know a foolish decision to uh, you know go back and forth from the city when they have these other you know when they have other things kind of at their disposal. So uh, to me, the the Jets have put themselves in a spot where they've lessened temptation for the players being out in Florham Park as opposed to East Rutherford Sea Caucus like the Giants, where it's just a hop, skip, and a jump to get in the city. They kind of did that on purpose to sort of alleviate some of these situations. So I don't think the Jets organizations at fault from that perspective, but I do think the player vetting, they need to maybe take a look and revamp this because they, there seems to be a trend here, and that's troublesome. Okay, great, Christian. So one more question before I let you go. I uh, talked about this briefly with Dan Fika uh, before you joined us. And talked about the uh, the jet. You know, we've beaten it to death over the last year plus because they were so bad. But this interior jet so line, Spencer Long uh, in the middle with Carpenter and Winters flanking him. Um, Carpenter and Winters. We know Winters was dinged up last year, and we know Carpenter, since being drafted by Seattle, has struggled in zone schemes. Um, just just a quick thought. Do you think that uh, going to a, what what everyone expects to be a zone heavy scheme? Is this something that James Carpenter and Brian Winters are going to fit, or is this going to? Do you think this might slow the Jets down a little bit? Well, a, a zone scheme is going to make the Jets more multiple because you're really coming out. You've got a, a handful of formations from which you can do a bunch of different things, and in some ways that can really unsettle a front three, front four, front five defense. Uh, so that should be an automatic built-in advantage for the Jets right there because a zonal blocking scheme can kind of mask a little bit differently uh, what the Jets will be doing as opposed to you know the the, uh, the spread that some teams are running out with the pro style, the I formations, whatever it might be. The zonal scheme is going to do that so I think that will be an advantage and uh, it, it will be more beneficial for Winters rather than for Carpenter like you said Carpenter's had some struggles here he's not necessarily built for a zonal scheme which oftentimes requires a bit more agility more angles uh, better footwork and quite mm-hmm. frankly he's a little bit of a bigger bulkier guy than Brian Winters so uh, in many ways I think Winters because he is technique driven yes he's a mauler but he's not the biggest of guards out there in the league uh winters is more built for this just because they can pull them they can do more things and the way he's built is built for a zonal marking scheme so uh quite frankly i, I know that carpenter is going to be owed a lot of money but i think he may be a candidate to be traded at some point the problem is they don't have a whole lot of proven depth behind him uh or possibly uh cut or something like that because i just don't think he's going to be a good fit but brian winters should benefit from this i think he will benefit from this and uh yeah i also think they're going to benefit a whole lot because some of the issues along the offensive line in particular at center were addressed this off season that should be beneficial for the jets and for those two guys flanking on each either side yeah agree 100 percent. i've said all off season um, love James Carpenter, the person. He was a great player his first couple of years. He struggled last year, may not improve. And I, I've, even though he's still on the roster, I expect him to be, but I would not be the least bit surprised if he's exactly. traded or if, he, uh, if he's let go. And they, you know, if the Jets were able to grab somebody who gets let go by another team who they feel will be a better fit for that scheme. Christian Dyer, uh, Christian Dyer covers the Jets, Giants, and Red Bulls from Metro. He joins us here on Jet Nation Weekly. And we just wanted to say uh, thanks again, Christian, for calling in. We really appreciate it, and give Christian a look on Twitter. Uh, puts out some great content, and we look forward to having you on again next week, Christian. Yeah, and I love that last question to Dan Fico. That was fantastic. What was the off-season move that uh, you wish the Jets had had? For me, I know I'm going to get lambasted for this, but I wish the hey, Jets had gone after. if you got a second share, another... absolutely. 
I'm going to get lambasted for it, but um, I wish the Jets had gone after another playmaker. I love the Terrell Pryor move because, to me, Pryor is somebody who they brought in. They didn't spend a lot of money. Tremendous upside makes the Jets more multiple, more versatile in the attack, which I think is kind of exciting. In many ways, a bit of a weapon like a Brad Smith, who maybe wasn't necessarily as outstanding in Pryor down the, as Pryor is down the field but brought so many different components in terms of how you could flex him out, what he could do wide. Um, to, to me, Terrell Pryor brings similar type of athleticism, but also uh, just the fact that you can do so many different things with him. It can really unsettle a defense and how a defense is going to give you looks, uh, in particular in the back end. To me, being able to bring in another wide receiver, I know that the Jets have some young talent there, but just someone who could do something a little different, uh, that would have been great. I thought uh, Sammy Watkins got an awful lot of money to go to Cleveland. I know why you got to throw a lot of money at him, but somebody along those lines who maybe is coming in a bit under the radar, injured, but you know the production level could be there if all the pieces come together. That, to me, would have been a great type of addition uh, for the Jets as you rebuild, as you have a young quarterback could have made things so much easier for them. So I think probably in this, uh, you know, when we're talking about mid-August, when we start to go through some of the cuts, it'll be interesting to see if the Jets go after a more proven veteran wide receiver who might be out there. I'm not saying Des Bryant, all that mileage or baggage, no. but if there's somebody who can come on board, you know, he may cut into playing time for some of the young guys, but just someone who can be a steady presence in that pocket for a young quarterback uh, to be that priority. And then certainly as well, seeing what else they can get on the offensive line, uh, which may make a James Carpenter expendable, but also looking at the tackle positions as well, maybe a stopgap for one year, but you don't want Sam Darnold getting crushed back there if he's the quarterback by, let's say, the midpoint of the season. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with most of what you just said. One thing I would slightly disagree, the, and you did mention he got a lot of money. The money that Sammy Watkins got, given his injury Ridiculous. history, was a little, yeah. too, was, a little was, was too much for my blood. Um, but I do love the prior move. I love the fact that you now have, in Pryor and Robbie Anderson, and I've said this a million times since they've added him, you have two guys you can line up on the outside who both run sub four four forties, and they're both six foot three. A lot of speed. I mean, those guys. Yeah, there's, there's they're a lot of command speed out So there. much attention. Their tight ends and their slot receivers should be able to just go crazy all day in the middle of the field. Because if Which I'm, is the if reason I'm Jets, why I, 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 thought, I thought the Jets were actually wise there, Glenn. Sorry to cut you off, but the Jets right were ahead. wise there uh, to not throw a bunch of money at Austin Safari and Jenkins. I thought AS, oh God, uh, yeah. ASJ was a good player, uh, you know, still not getting, being able to get that touchdown against the New England Patriots. I think that was a mm-hmm. turning point for the season. If the Jets go into week seven with a 4-2 and two record, um, you know, and that certainly wasn't his fault. But, you know, you saw the kind right. of impact that he had. He could change games. He was a presence down the field, not a great blocker, but in many ways Dustin Keller-type production uh, when he was on the field for the Jets. To me, uh, with what they're doing right now, with the speed that you mentioned that they have uh, potentially on either side, uh, the tight end position will just benefit automatically. And he didn't necessarily have to, have to throw six, seven, eight, nine, ten million dollars at the position uh, to, to address it adequately. So I thought that was a good move by Mike McCagney to perhaps wait a year, see what's going to be out in the market, and not overpay. As much as I like Safarian Jenkins, to me, uh, it, it was a better part of prudence to just kind of sit there for a little bit because a tight end will automatically uh, just benefit from this scheme. 
Yeah, and that's what makes guys like Jordan Leggett and Herndon so interesting because, you know, they both they've both shown they can be really good pass catchers, and Herndon, of course, the better blocker. But uh, should be a fun season for whoever's playing in the middle of that that uh, in the middle of the field for that Jets offense because they're going to have some options to open things up. But thanks again, Christian, for joining us. Really appreciate it. No, my pleasure. Thanks so much. All right, take care. All right, so that was Christian Dyer of Metro, and uh, glad he was able to join us. Give us a little bit more time than we thought he'd be able to uh, when you're wearing that many hats. Christian's uh, he's got a lot of deadlines, but uh, able to chip in a little bit there, and I think, uh, I think it sounds like we're on the same page with the, the Todd Bowles situation with whether or not the, uh, you know, with, with whether or not he's the one who's held accountable, you know, and because let's face it, you know, it's uh, it's as I said, I, you know, I don't need to say it again. Grown men, right? These are grown men. They should know what they're doing. They should know not to, not to get behind the wheel drunk. Um, but Herndon did it. A lot of guys have done it. But that was the interesting thing that, and I'm glad Christian mentioned that actually. Um, I'll touch on that because I saw a blurb earlier today that the, the Jets really are. I think right now they're sort of, in terms of alcohol-related incidents and off-field issues, arrests and things like that. The Jets are kind of 15th or 16th in the NFL. Someone, you know, they might be 13th, they might be 19th, but they're middle of the pack. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah, you'd love to have a team where it's not happening, but that's not realistic. It's going to happen. That's that's one of the few categories you want to be ranked last in the NFL. But um, if you follow the New York media that likes to put everything under a microscope and sensationalize everything, uh, you would think that the Jets are just like uh, one, you know. One, as Christian said, it one one great big circus with a uh, with an open bar, and it really doesn't uh, the the numbers don't bear that out. And if and I do recall during the Rex years when we heard about how crazy things were, I remember seeing maybe even Christian's article. I remember seeing that the Giants, you know, playing the same city, same damn building, playing the same building. They had far more. I don't know it was far more. They had they had more. Uh, more run-ins with the law, alcohol-related stuff, but all all the all the narrative was the Jets. The Jets are out of control. The Jets can't stop drinking. The Jets can't stay out of trouble. And meanwhile, they were they were sort of bottom bottom five, bottom six in the NFL. Um, no, you know nobody gives a damn when uh well I, I shouldn't say nobody gives a damn. I'm sure the fans do, but you you don't hear about it when a when a a player on another team gets a DUI the way you do with the Jets. You know, maybe it's me living in a, you know, as a Jets fan living in that bubble. But uh, I think the, I think we do see it. We do hear it. We hear them get, uh, get knocked for not having their act together and, and not conducting themselves like professionals when the fact of the matter is they're, they're no worse than many other teams and, and they're better off than a lot. So that's something I guess, I guess kind of used to as a Jets fan, but it is a, a weird phenomenon where they, they're consistently ridiculed for their behavior, and and it's really not nearly as bad as, as everyone's trying to make it out to be. So just want to say thank you again to uh, Dan Fika, newestjetnation.com writer. Great job by him. Looking forward to more content from him. Give him a follow on Twitter and check out his content on jetnation.com. Check out the forums. Get in the forums on jetnation.com. I know this I, I was looking at the, you know, we have our, our blog talk map. You know, we can see where our listeners are from. You guys are everywhere. I, I see listeners in Korea, um, and I'm, I'd be willing to bet a lot of those people in Korea that are listening are, you know, exactly what I was 20 years ago when I was stationed over there, and I had no access to, to you know, 
interact with Jets fans. Those forums on JetNation.com were uh, were a godsend, really, when you're out of the country and out of really out of touch with uh, you know not being in the in the New York, New Jersey area and and having those, those fellow fans, you can just sit down with a couple beers and talk football. Um, so I, I know there's folks out there. I know that you guys are in various locations around the world. And I know I said this during the last show to open things up, and I just want to say it again. Um, looked at our numbers again for our, our listens, and thank you guys. I mean, I'm, it's uh, it's fantastic. It, the, the numbers have been excellent. Uh, I had, you know, had no idea what to expect as the show changed direction, but uh, it's been it's been really good. And the the listeners, the downloads, the uh, the folks that are listening to the show all the way through, greatly greatly appreciated. It means a lot to us. It means a lot to me. Um, one thing I'm bad at, I never say this. I gotta get you. I gotta get in the habit of it because because Joe used to say it all the time. Give us some reviews on iTunes. Go to iTunes Jet Nation Radio and say that Glenn's a moron, or say you know fire Glenn, or you know this week Glenn was somewhat tolerable. Whatever you want to say, one star, five stars. I think it goes up to five stars. I don't know if it's four or five, but whatever it is, when you get the time. Go to uh, go to iTunes, and I think that might be the first time I've said that since uh, since Joe moved on. Um, I've been bad about asking people to review us, so please go ahead and do that, and and keep listening, and keep tuning in. Uh, much appreciated. The listens are uh, the numbers are high. We're liking that, and uh, hopefully some some changes coming in the near future in terms of how we present the show. Um, that'll be uh, more on that down the down the road. Hopefully in the coming weeks. But either way, thank you all so much for tuning in. We really appreciate it, and uh, we look forward to having another great show next week. And football season, folks, is, is one week closer, and OTAs are in full swing. Have a great night, Jets fans.